Okay, so we are starting a brand new series called Jesus and We. Everyone say with me, it's not all about me. Okay, it's not all about you, but it's also not all about me. A lot of the times, and that, when I say it's not all, it is. It does have something to do with you, okay? You're involved in the we. You are part of we, okay? And, and that's what we want to get across today, is that Jesus and we is much stronger than Jesus and me. And we have to come to Christ. We have to accept salvation. And then we move forward from there and realize that our faith is not just ours alone, this isn't just about your private faith. This isn't just about uh, you growing in Christ by yourselves. Instead, this has a lot to do with you and us. When Jesus came, he asked the disciples to come and follow him, right, in his ministry. He was rarely alone. He did get alone with God. He, he, he prayed. He did those types of things. But a lot of that was to get fueled up for the ministry to others. It was to help others, to encourage others, to grow others. It really wasn't about him. It was about everyone around him. And that's what Jesus has called us to, too. And we think about that, and we realize that it's good if we grow personally. But if there's no outlet to the lake that we are, it becomes stagnant. If there is no water coming in and then also moving out, we are not doing what the scripture has asked us to do, what the Bible tells us to do. So a lot of the times we think that it's, well, how is my personal faith doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Without taking into account that God really wants us to worship together, to grow together, to pray together, to uh, be a community of faith together. So that's why we say Jesus and we, it's not just me. And through this series, we're just starting it today. So if this is your first time here, perfect, because this is the first one that we're doing on this. We are talking about faith today. We are talking about faith today and how that applies to us. And we're looking at different values as we walk through this about who we are as a body of Christ and who I want all of you to be as well. What I want you to become, what I want to become as well. And, and then we have to put that together and be us. And I, I was sad yesterday that I wasn't able to be a part of the chicken noodle supper and the holiday bazaar. It felt weird. And, and my son Aiden was, was not too thrilled that he wasn't able to volunteer. And it was, it was even different if you were here and working. But when we realize that the church is more than just any of us individually, that it is all of us together, we are much stronger in that. Amen? We're much, we're much better off if we understand the we. Sometimes if, if we don't understand the we, we just think it's about me and we can move and pull away from community. We can pull away from uh, the life that God has called us to live together. So Jesus was definitely somebody who showed we to us. He lived for others. He died for others. And he's asked us to do the same thing. So this is kind of the statement that this boils down to as I knock a letter over. That happens occasionally. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, risk-taking people. That's what God has called us to. And, and sometimes I fall short of that, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be insulting God with small asks, small requests, and small thoughts. How many of you are sometimes surprised at what God does? See, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we're going through a trial and we're just asking to get through it. That's, that's fine. That's okay. But I've noticed in my own life personally, as we're going through 2020 and dealing with everything that comes with that, sometimes what I'm asking from God is not really what I want. Meaning I'm asking for some things and I should ask for those. Or I'm praying for things and I should pray for those. 
But ultimately, there's something bigger that if I really was open and honest with God, I desire this to happen. And when, you know what I'm thinking? When I'm praying about the church, I desire for it to grow. I desire for it to double in size in depth and impact, meaning that we get deeper in God, at least twice as deep, right? And that we have twice as big of reach, at least. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was like, why am I even praying that? I should be praying four, five, whatever it is, because God is able to do exceedingly above and more than I hope or ask for. That's what scripture says. And if you're asking something that's godly, then you don't need to be timid about that because Scripture tells you to do that, to pray boldly, to approach the throne boldly and ask Christ for what you need. And you see Jesus doing that over and over again. And you see Jesus performing miracles. You see Jesus drawing crowds that he's teaching the Father about, the Father to the crowds. And you see Jesus instructing the disciples and, and growing them and saying, you're going to do and accomplish even more than I have done because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to deposit my Holy Spirit within you. So Jesus had a viewpoint of multiplication. And sometimes I have a viewpoint of addition and subtraction. But God has a viewpoint of multiplication. So how often are we shorted because we don't have the faith that we are called to have? We're not asking of Jesus what we're called to have. I think of uh, some of the, the fields that surround us and the farms that surround us. And, and even in the corporate world, this pans out too. So if you don't know too much about farming, which I don't know terribly much, other than it requires a lot of land now to be a successful farmer. You or you have to be very specific, have to have a very strong niche, and you have to be creating something very specifically. But it seems that the corporations, the larger conglomerates of farms, are what eats up a lot of the land. And the small farm lifestyle has slowly shrunk down to almost nothing. Would you agree with that? It, it, but I think part of that is the natural progression of what happens in the world, is if we don't think big, if we don't think broad, then we don't see what's happening and what's around us. So as much as we want to lament some of the losses of those things, at the same time, we realize that we live in a world now that has a vast, vastly bigger population. We live in a world now with billions and billions of people that have to be fed, and the animals that feed those people have to be fed too. So now production in farms has to be different. And I used to be able to walk in a field of corn and walk down the lanes. Anyone remember that? Be able to go into the field and you could play hide and seek without knocking over stalks. And now I can't, and it isn't just because I got fatter. It's because they've, they've increased the yield per acre. And that's a smart thing to do. You have to do that. It's, it's, using, it's being good stewards of the land. It's, it's producing the crop. It's, it's doing what you need to do in order to accomplish what the end goal is. And Jesus told stories about this too. Uh, but there is something to having a lack of faith. So it isn't just that, that we don't we want to have big faith, we have to realize that if we're walking in unbelief, if we're missing something when it comes to our faith, then, then we're actually in error. Mark 6, 5 and 6 says this, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. So what is this in reference to? This is when Jesus went back to his homeland where he grew up and he's teaching people and he wants to pray for them and he wants to heal them. And he wants to do some of the same things that he's doing everywhere else in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But the realization is because of their unbelief, he didn't do it. Their lack of faith had consequences for them. Just a few sick people were healed, not the mass multitudes like before. Just a few were healed. Now, now put that into contrast with, in Luke 7, 9, we see a centurion. And a centurion is a, a Roman leader, and he is not looked upon well by the rest of the Jewish people and Jesus' crew. And, and as he's doing this, he has an issue, and he wants Jesus to heal someone for him. And he says, you know what, Jesus, you don't even have to show up. I just know that if you speak the word, she will be healed. 
And Luke 7, 9 says this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to the crowd that was following him, and he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. So the question, the question is, do we have the faith of the centurion, or do we have the faith of the people in the hometown who didn't have much faith, right? They didn't have hardly, they didn't have any faith. And the centurion understood what was happening, and he had an incredible amount of faith, and, and he said, look, I, I believe in this fully, and he was amazed. How many of you want to amaze God with the faith that you've been given and the faith that you acquire? Wouldn't it be better to be in that troop? Wouldn't it be better to be a part of that group that is like that? You want to be in that situation that you're not disappointing God, but you're amazing Him. Now, does that mean the centurion was perfect? No. Does that mean that he had everything figured out? No. Does that mean that he had all the T's grot? No, but he understood the line of authority, and he understood that he could go to Jesus and ask for something, and Jesus could do it if he was willing. And that's where we're called to be when it comes to our faith as well. That's how we're called to live. We're called to amaze others with our faith. Jesus was amazed. So how big is your faith? How big as is your faith? How big is it? If, I was thinking about this question. I read this question for the first time this week, and it convicted me. And how many of you love to feel like your toes have gotten stepped on by the Holy Spirit, right? It, it did, though, because I, I realized something. And this is the question. It was like, if God answered every single one of your prayers that you prayed this week, how would your life be different? How would the world be different? Would it be different? Because I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I, I pray for the prayer contact forms that we get through there, and, and there'd be some people that were healed and some things like that. If, if God answered every single one of my prayers, I know he doesn't always answer every single one of our prayers every time we ask. But it says to come boldly and ask, right? It says that we're to do that. But if, if, if I had prayed bigger prayers and God had said, this week, Ben's getting everything, would my life be different? And for a lot of weeks, I would say, no, I would, you know, I simply pray that God keeps my family safe. I also pray that, uh, what are some of the other prayer requests that we have? That, uh, that my food would be blessed, so all your chicken noodles would be blessed. Like that would have happened. Like, when it comes down to it, are our prayers big enough that God is amazed by even our requests? That's a good question to have. Because I would much rather be on the side of, of talking to God too much and asking too much and, and, and trying to, to see if he's willing to do this than to be somebody who's just too afraid to even ask. Because then we're missing it. Jesus himself said sometimes you don't receive because you, you do not ask, that you need to ask. You know, Knock on the door and it shall be opened to you. We seek Christ above all, but we should be asking him big things as well. So here, here's a way. Uh, just that is, You don't have to show your hands, but if you want to participate with me, you can. If you were going to look at the prayer requests that you have this week when it comes to praying to Jesus and asking for things, how many of you would say, this, it's where I want to be? And, and we're going to use a, an old game Red light, green light. How many of you remember that game? But I'm going to give you yellow, too. How many actually played with yellow a little bit? You tell them, yellow, and they have to slow down when they're playing red light, green light. If we play red light, green light with our faith as far as, let's just take a simple look at it. Let's see where we stand. Would you say, you know, green, everything's good to go. Yellow, I should, I should be doing a little bit more. Or red, I'm missing the mark on this one. Like, how many of you would say that you're red? No one? I'm putting my hand up for red. Man, you all need to pray for me. Pray for your pastor. Red, I'm maybe I'm not asking big enough. I'm not searching God strong enough. Yellow, how many of you would say, ah, I could be better, Pastor Ben? Yeah. 
uh, green. How many are ready to go? All right, we're, she's going to pray for all of us this week. Excellent. That's good. That is really good. It's, it's good to evaluate yourself sometimes in this area and ask these questions, right? So when I look at this area in my life, I'm like, man, when did I start asking for things that are not going to matter as much? And when, when did I become a little bit pulled away from Christ in the questions I ask and in, in the prayers that I have? Why am I not asking for bigger things for others and bigger things for the kingdom? I should be doing that. And so that's been a little bit convicting for me. All right, so I want to go through uh, three faith-filled facts. Three faith-filled facts. Here's the first one. Let's see if it, it's not going to work on there. All right. Can you go back to the, the first slide after uh, Jesus and we, Joy? There, if it does it. It's not working. Yes, thank you. I'm trying to control it from this little iPad, and it's not working. Okay. You can, let's read this together. You cannot play it safe and roll with Jesus. How many of you know what it means to roll with somebody? You cannot play it safe and roll with Jesus. When Jesus called the disciples, he didn't call them into safety, did he? He did not. He called them into world changing. He called them into being instigators into the change that God wanted to create. He called them into something bigger than safety. You cannot play it safe and roll with Jesus. There was a time where, where a young man came up to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do in order to, to, to do everything that God wants me to do? And and Jesus looked at the guy, and the guy had done everything right by the letter, but he knew that this man was very rich and had a lot of power and authority. And he said to the young man, he said to him, sell all that you have and follow me. And the guy said, yes, and did it. How many of you know this story and that didn't happen? He, he, it says he went away sad because he couldn't give it up. He couldn't give up his security. He couldn't give up his safety. He wanted to please God so much, but he wasn't willing to give up that security blanket that he had. He wasn't able to, to put it away because he wanted that more than Jesus. So sometimes we are trying to play it safe and roll with Jesus, and you can't do that. Look at the disciples. Things didn't go grand for them as soon as they followed Jesus. They went through hardships. They slept outside. They had to rough it. They were, they were homeless in a lot of ways. They, they went through all of this stuff. They were you know, almost arrested. They were ridiculed. They almost got killed at different points because they were following Jesus. So you can't say that following Jesus is the safest route. It is for all of eternity. It is because we know where we're going ultimately, but in the here and now, there's some risk involved, recalled to this adventure of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Sincerely seek him. You cannot play it safe and roll with Jesus. You have to sincerely seek him. And at times, he's going to ask you to do things that don't feel safe, that don't feel comfortable, that don't feel normal, that don't feel easy. How many of you would say that's happened to you before, right? That's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Here, here's the deal. We can't be accomplishing all of our goals without faith. Faith really is a requirement if we're going to do God-sized goals. If you can accomplish all of your goals without God, then your goals are not big enough. You're not having God-sized vision. You're not actually doing what God wants you to do. Because if you look at the disciples, they could not accomplish it on their own. They needed the presence of Jesus to teach them. And then they also needed the Holy Spirit to indwell them. So that's what God calls us to how many of you have been scared before, been worried about something? I know uh, Kim always talks about stepping out of our boat, and that's a reference to, to Peter walking on water. And there's the story where Jesus is with his disciples, 
Well, actually, Jesus isn't with his disciples. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus is somewhere else. And all of a sudden, they see a ghost walking on the water. And they start flipping out the disciples as they're in the midst of this storm. And, and they're out there in the middle of nowhere and at night on the water. And they're freaking out. And then they get closer and they see that this is Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, step out of the boat if you want to walk. And Peter jumps out and takes some steps. We don't know how long he walked. And a lot of people say, well, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he falls in. How many of you know Peter and Jesus are the only ones that walked on the water? So the question is, are you sitting in your boat in safety or are you jumping out of the boat to test the water? See, walking by faith, it means that we have to step towards Jesus. It means we have to take steps because eventually Jesus isn't just going to hold our hands through the whole thing. He's going to ask us to take some steps as well. We need to make sure that we aren't just trying to achieve safety. We should never let the fear of failure talk us out of an act of faith. We cannot let the fear of failure stop us from pursuing something that is bigger and broader than us. How many of you have watched football before or like to watch football? Some of you maybe have played Madden before. I used to play that a lot. There's something, and maybe you're familiar with it if you watch football, called prevent defense. And I wish Smoke was here so I could ask him if he agrees with me on this. So maybe you can ask him later, Colleen, okay? He's a defensive coordinator, right? So I have a theory about prevent defense. I think it's absolute garbage. (laughs) And here's why. Because what you do in prevent defense is you pull back and you put as many defensive backs in place and you try to cover all of the field and everybody who's running out. And then usually only you have three on the line that are blitzing. And when you have three on the line that blitz, it means that there's five or six guys that are blocking and the quarterback has a lot more time in the pocket to move around and for his receivers to get open. And the idea with prevent a defense is, let's say you're up by a score, or you're up by three. So you're up by three or seven, and it's nearing the end of the game. You run prevent defense so that your players don't get hurt, or so that you can run timeout. The problem is, especially in college football, when you run prevent defense, it's almost like running a prevent win. You are going to lose in that drive because you are opening up the field. You're playing it safe. And because you're playing it so safe, the quarterback has a ton of time to execute. And if you give any quarterback all the time in the world, they're going to get a completion most likely. So whenever you're doing this, it, it doesn't work. It goes against you. And sometimes when I look at my life, I see areas where I have got some safety and I have put prevent defense in place so that I'm playing not to lose. I am not playing to win. How many of you have played other sports where it's like, okay, we got the lead. Now just don't lose. What happens? You start giving points back. You start losing in that segment of time. And a lot of the times that's where upsets come. That's where games flip and everything else. So this is true in life as well. If you take away what has been working, if God has been doing something in your life and he has been blessing you in that and you're like, well, I think I'm set right here. I'm going to take my foot off the accelerator on that. Then a lot of the times what happens is that gets shut down. It will not work anymore because you're not doing it the same way anymore. And, and, And God doesn't want that. He wants us to push into what he's doing for us. Play to your strengths. Everyone say, I have spiritual gifts. (laughs) You do. If you have spiritual gifts, the goal for you is not to find your greatest spiritual weakness and just work on serving in that area. Maybe you need to strengthen that. No. The greatest thing that you can do is figure out how God has made you, how God has wired you, and then work within that framework to accomplish what he is putting in front of you. I think that's deeply important. Because not everyone can do everything. And trust me, I can't do everything. You can't do everything. And there's some things that we're called to. And if we figure out what God has called us to and we work in that area, he'll reward us because it's where we're supposed to be. It's where we're supposed to be. So we need to play to our strengths. Okay, so, so we are called to roll with Jesus. And rolling with Jesus doesn't give us safety all of the time. You cannot play it safe and roll with Jesus. And then 
Number two, walking with Jesus requires faith and risk. Walking with Jesus requires faith and risk. As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. How many of you know that to be true? So if I, here, here's the deal. There are moments in your life where you know that 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 this is what God wants. And I've had those moments. I've had those moments where God tells me things where it's very clear that he doesn't want me to do something, that I I need to change my direction, that I'm not to do this. And I look at the word of God, I I look at the Bible, and I see that, yes, this this is confirmed with this. This this message works both ways here. And, And then when I see that, I know that he's spoken to me. One of the things that I can go back to, even in difficult times, is where I I remember the moment where I knew that I was called to ministry. I was called into into pastoring. And I didn't know what kind it was or or what I was going to be doing at all. Like a lot of that God doesn't tell us. But it was a moment where God was like, are you going to say yes to me or are you going to do what you want to do? And I said yes in that moment. So whenever I'm having difficulty, I have to go back to that. I have to remember, look, no matter what, God has called me to this, and that moment is strong. Are there moments on Sunday morning before I get up to speak where I'm like, man, I just want to go eat a donut and sit down in the pew? Yes. Yes, there are those moments. Are are there moments of question and doubt? Yes, there are those moments. But I go back to my call. And I go back to say, hey, here is where I know. And and here's what I know about scripture. And here's how God has proved himself over and over again. The Israelites used to walk around in in the desert and in the wilderness. And as they would go from place to place, they would put these markers down, these stones that would be stones of faith. And they would say, the reason the stone is here is because this happened here. And this is the story of, of maybe the them crossing the Jordan River. This is the story of God being in a pillar of fire. And they put those rocks in place, those monuments, to show them their history of faith. How many of you have those monuments in your life you can go back to and you do sometimes? Like, I remember the difficult time I went through and God showed up in this way. I remember when I, I was having this difficult time and somebody called me up and, and it was just a God thing. I remember when... That is those faith-building elements that are there. Now, does that mean that we never have bad days? No, it doesn't. But it means that we can go back and say, look at my history. Look what God has done for me, and I am going to move forward with that faith. So just because we have moments of doubt doesn't mean that we're not faith-filled. But walking with Jesus requires faith and Risk. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Do we know everything? But here's the deal. God has shared enough with us in his word that we're supposed to have it. Amen? Like He's given us enough to know who he is, who his son is, who Jesus Christ is. He's given us to know uh, enough there to know who the church is called to be. He's given us enough there that we can discern what we're called to do. And then on personally in our own life, he reveals things to us personally through his Holy Spirit so that we can know who we are as well. Walking with Jesus requires faith and risk. You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both in your life. When, when we, I hope Emily's okay with me sharing this. If she isn't, don't tell her I did. <laughs> when we first moved here, it was eight, you know, over eight years ago, I think, and um, she was used to driving in the Chicago suburbs on the streets that she knew. Like, there wasn't a whole lot reason, reason to go, you know, 15, 20 miles anywhere else, Okay. I grew up in northern Indiana uh, around Amish country with one-lane roads that you fed two trucks down in a combine. You know what I mean? That's where I grew up. So you know, we would go 60, 70 miles an hour down these country roads that probably shouldn't have handled 50. Different life experience than, than what she had. When we first moved here, and it, 
it takes a little bit of getting used to because a lot around here there aren't a lot of left turn signals, you, you know, well, left turn lanes that are designated that with arrows and all that. If you go down south, there's a little bit more, but or up north, a little bit more. So, and we didn't know the roads, and I I drive by landmark most of the time. I figured it out pretty quick, but she kind of sat in the passenger side for for a long time. Well. Eventually, she got comfortable enough to, to drive, and we only had one vehicle for a while, and so it was easy for her not to have to drive or anything. Eventually, she's driving, but then it was like a year or so in between like her driving and her driving me anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm sitting in the passenger side. How many of you have an imaginary brake and steering wheel on the passenger side of your car? You know what I'm talking about. It's like you're driving the driver's ed car and you can somehow control it if that's what it was like because I was used to having control. Like no one had driven me anywhere for a long time. Emily got in the driver's side and I probably wasn't feeling well. So imagine that, like I have a headache or something and we're driving somewhere and I'm just like, oh, 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 and I'm doing that, you know, whole punching my foot through the floor thing. Here's the deal. I could either have the comfort of being taken somewhere, I could have faith in her to get me there, or I could have control and drive it myself. Some of us love that song that Jesus take the wheel or whatever. But then if Jesus actually took the wheel and started driving it in a different direction that we wanted to go, we'd be upset. You with me? Because I'm in the same place. Sometimes I'm like, well, God, I hate to tell you how to do your job, but you're really done messed up on that one. That's how I feel sometimes. And, and if I'm honest with it and I deal with my feelings, sometimes saying that, like, God, why are you doing that? That doesn't seem like it's the best. Then I can actually verbalize it and I can get it out. And then I can come back and say, whoa, what do I know compared to God? Hmm, creator of heavens and earth, guy who lives in Cicero. <laughs> honestly, like when we think about it, it's kind of funny, but we have that relationship with God, and that's only natural to have some of those feelings, and by verbalizing them, being honest with it, and saying, God, I, I'm lacking this, I, I don't have enough faith just to allow you to be in control, help me in this situation, you, you allow it to occur, the only way I could start to feel comfortable with Emily driving again was, A, if she didn't wreck us, and she didn't, and then B, if I allowed her to do it and I got comfortable with it. If you get comfortable with allowing the Holy Spirit to have the wheel of your life, and not for God to be your co-pilot, but for Him to be your pilot, then you're going to end up in somewhere far different than you would have steered. And you're going to end up where God intends you to end up. If you have to have control then you are not walking in faith. If you have to have control, and if you're the one that's saying, this is my five-year plan, and by God, if it doesn't happen right, then he messed up, you're not going to be where God wants you to be. You may have salvation, you may have faith, but you're not allowing him to be in control. You're lacking lordship in your life. And Jesus wants to be your savior. It says in scripture, he's your brother, he's your friend but he also wants to be your Lord. And that means he's the one that plugs the coordinates into the GPS and maybe doesn't even tell you where you're going. It's a surprise, guys. Life is a surprise, right? And he wants to be in control. You cannot have faith and control. You, you can't have those together. You can't have both. You have to pick one. I want to pick faith. I want to pick faith. I want to ease up on the control aspect of my life and pick faith because it's a lot more exciting when I allow the Holy Spirit to direct my path. All right, so maybe you have to start something. Maybe God has asked you to do something. Maybe there's been a dream or something in your mind that you just haven't started. Maybe God has called you to start a Bible study with other people, but you're a little bit scared. Maybe you're like Rich who is sitting in Sunday school class thinking maybe God was speaking to him because nobody was there yet. There were people that came in. <laughs> There are people that came in, so God spoke to you right then and said, no, you're ready. <laughs> you're ready. 
See, this is the thing that God does. We have to step out of our boat. We have to step into a position where we're not in control of everything in order to walk in faith. Maybe God is asking you to, to start a new job, to start a business, to step out and take a risk with your life personally. Maybe it's not even about Bible and faith. Maybe it's about something that he wants you to do. Are you willing to do it or do you want to play it safe? Number three, you have to step away from security to reach your destiny. You have to step away from security to reach your destiny. Now, let's just say that we're at home and we have a wonderful security alarm system that we're paying way too much a month for. You're in that environment, and let's say your home is, is five minutes away from the police station, and you know that the police can show up within 10 minutes, and you've got that alarm system set, and you've got everything secure, and you have all the ammo you could ever want because it's worth gold now, right? You have all that. You have all of the security that you want. If you never leave that position, eventually you're going to die because you can't get food. <laughs> you can't work. You're not going to have a social life. You're certainly not going to be in church. But what you're choosing is security over your destiny. See, Jesus did not choose that. Think of the way Jesus lived his life. Was a little bit reckless. It seemed that way. Did his mom get upset at him? Yes. Mary was upset with Jesus at one point. She said, hey, what are you doing? Did the disciples get upset with him? They're like, yeah, don't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, I'm going. And then some of the disciples got together and like, well, you're always doing this, Jesus. You never listen to us, your counsel. Fine, let's go with Jesus and go die. They literally say that. <laughs> let's go with Jesus and go die. Because they understood that Jesus wasn't just playing it safe all the time. You know, there are times where he got up and he said things, and, like, and the disciples are like, why would you say that to everyone? Jesus gets a whole crowd together. He grows his biggest church service ever, you know, and there's like 15,000, 5,000 people, and, and they're all following him because he gives them free food. He gives them all the chicken noodles they could ever eat. and Well, it was actually fish and bread, which was really good food back then. Some of you probably don't want to eat that now. I'd like it, but he fed them. And, and so all these people are following him, and, and they're like, okay, Jesus is he's our king. We're going to make him king, and, and this is great. We finally got free food and resources. This is great. And uh, Jesus stands up and goes, oh, you guys like food. He goes, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everyone's like, ew, that's gross, Jesus. I saw what you did with the fish. Don't do that here. That's what, that's what probably some of them are thinking. They're like, what? I, I'm out. I like the bread and the fish, but I can't handle this. I'm out. And they left. It says many people left because the things that Jesus were saying were hard. Can you imagine growing a church up that size and then telling everyone to leave? The disciples were not pleased. The disciples were like, we were getting ready to take an offering. The collection box was small, and you didn't allow us to do it. You see... You have to step away from security to reach your what? Destiny. Who determines your destiny? God. God. But here's the deal. I don't think that we always accomplish everything that God desires to give us. I know sometimes we want to say, well, I guess if it's the will of God, if it's not the will of God, there are times I can look back in my life where I know God has asked me to do something and I didn't do it. I didn't do it, and I think I missed out and others missed out. And I don't think God wants us to experience that. He wants us to grow with him and move with him and follow him. So you have to step away from security to reach your destiny. Hebrews 11, a, and actually Hebrews 11, when you read through that, this is like sometimes called the faith chapter, so you can look at that on your own. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was. <laughs> that rhymes, so it must be true, right? He went without knowing where he was going. He went without knowing where 
he was going, but he was following God. God often likes to remove us from the safe and the comfortable when he is preparing to do something new within us. Because he wants the foundation to be on him and not on us. Not on us. So when Abraham was pulled away, it says he was pulled away from his homeland and from the land of his ancestors and the family that he had there. And God drew him out into the wilderness and then into the destiny that he had for him. And we know from our last series that Abraham, all of the nations were blessed through him because of his obedience, not because of his perfection, because of his ability to follow God even when he didn't know where he was going. How many of you this year have sat down and said, I don't know where things are going? <laughs> Here, here's the, the thing. Is it God? Is it God? Are we following God so closely that we don't see what's coming? Are we accomplishing what God has for us and just walking in faith and saying, okay, I'm going to do what God wants me to do and I'm going to risk not knowing where I'm going or are we trying to plan it all out? And if it isn't what we want, then we get upset and we don't do what God wants. I can say sometimes I have no clue where I'm going. Amen. <laughs> so we're called to step away from security and reach our destiny. So what does it mean? What does it mean to show faith within your per personal life and within the church? How many of you have shared your faith before? You've talked about Jesus before. Any of you get what I get and sweat a little bit right before that? <laughs> you get a little bit nervous? You, you, afterwards, you're like, oh, I didn't say that right. Oh, I hope they'll talk to me again. Oh, I, you know, all those things. I, I get nervous when, when I feel like I'm supposed to share my faith and, and I do it. I get nervous. How many of you have ever been laughed at? A few of you? That's fun, isn't it? You share your faith and then they, they start laughing at you? You know what's funny? At least for me personally, when that happens to me, I'm okay with that. I actually, I think the Holy Spirit comes upon me and maybe it comes upon you and he actually allows you to have grace in that situation and to be happy even in that difficult time, to have the joy of the Lord in that situation. We, we shouldn't walk in fear when we have to share our faith. Uh, how many of you have had to serve in ministry or do something within the church before and you're nervous about it? Yeah. Maybe you have to serve in the nursery with those kids that are called pools that make everything real difficult. Those are my kids. <laughs> maybe, maybe God has called you to, to greet people outside. Maybe he's called you to, to lead a Sunday school class. Uh, maybe he's called you to lead a small group. Maybe he's called you to do one of these things. I don't know what he's called you to do, but often we get bogged down with fear, and instead of stepping away from our security, we don't reach our destiny. We have to step out in faith and accomplish all that we have. Can I tell you a little secret? Don't tell anyone in my family. Every time I have a new child, I get more freaked out. Because the older I am as a parent and the more I go through this whole process and everything else, I realize that my control is about this much. In, and it's shrinking every time I get a reality of what's happening. And, and so I, I, I get a little bit scared and everything. I was having a discussion with one of my friends years ago who, who was going into foster parenting and he was going through this process of trying to uh, adopt what now is his daughter and uh and it didn't go well at the beginning like she did not respond well she, she lied and and got the courts involved and everything and moved out and uh eventually she realized what she had done didn't help her at all and she came back and told the truth and apologized for everything 
and they adopted her like two years later. But as I was talking with him and he was explaining this whole situation, I was like, I just don't think I could do that. I, I, how do you do that? How do you have a, a child that you come in, come into your home and you love them and you care for them like your own? Because I, you know, you probably would too. You attach to people, right? How do you do that and then not know what the court system is going to do, not know what, what everything is going to happen, or if you're even going to be able to, to have them long-term, or if they're going to have to go back into a bad situation or a situation that isn't very good. How, how do you handle that? And he looked, it's terrifying. Yeah, he looked at me, and he goes, oh, it's no different than you, though. And I was like, no, it is, because you have all these other things. He goes, you're not guaranteed a single moment with your kids. And I was like, you shut up, jerk. <laughs> That's what I felt like saying. I was like, no, don't tell me that. But it's true. It's true. If God's called you to foster parent, if he's called you to adopt, you step out and you do that. Because the truth is, even if you have a natural born kid, you are guaranteed nothing in this life when it comes to security. Your kids are guaranteed nothing. Anything could happen. And as scary as that is, it's a release in some ways to realize that you have to reach for what God is calling you to do and not sit in safety because there is no such thing as safety. It's not real. So you step out and you do what God has called you to do. And you help others do what God has called them to do. And yeah, it could be really scary and it could be messy when you're going through the court systems. And it could be, you know, it could be terrifying and there could be a lot of implications down the road. But you know what's better than being safe and having all the good results? It's being faithful. God has called you to faithfulness and obedience, not to results. And that's something that I have to tell myself all of the time when I'm raising my kids, but in every area of my life, that's what God has called me to. That's what God has called you to. So without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, we cannot accomplish what God has for us. Without faith, we as a church cannot be the church and accomplish what God has for us. You have to step away from security to reach your destiny. We want to be big thinking, big asking, big faith-filled people. Amen? Jesus and we, together in this. We're not alone when we're talking about faith. God gives us faith. He gives us that gift. He grows us in this, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish all of these things. I, don't, I want to stop thinking small. I want to th stop thinking timidly. I want to think aggressively. I want to think passionately. I want to stop playing prevent defense. I want to go on the offense for the kingdom of heaven. I want to see God's kingdom prevail. I want to see people come to Jesus. I want to pe see people set free from addictions. I want to see people's lives improve because the Holy Spirit is residing within them. I want to step away from security, and I want to see God move. I want to see God-filled results, and I want, when people look at us, we, Jesus and we, they will say that the only way that could happen is because of Jesus. That's what I want people to say about this church, amen? So here's the thing. If God answered all your prayers from this week, what would be different? This is where we can start. Let's go beyond just blessing our food, amen? Let's pray for our neighbor across the street. When somebody asks us to pray for them, let's stop in that moment and pray for them. And it's going to be weird and it's going to be unsafe until it becomes normal for you to do that. I can remember, and this, is, this sounds bizarre, I can remember the first time that I decided I was going to pray for somebody over the phone, and I was just like pouring sweat. I hate public speaking, okay? But you put me on a phone, it's even worse, because I can't see the reaction. I'm like trying to read through the phone, right? But you know what? Now I pray for people over the phone all the time. Super easy. I remember the first time I prayed for somebody by text. I was like, I don't even know if this is biblical. And then I read the Bible and realized that God spoke to us in print. So I was like, oh, yeah, well, okay. He can probably, probably understands English when I type it. Even understands emoticons, okay? I don't, I don't, I don't, but he does. So if you want to pray in emoticons, you can do that 
Generation Z, whatever, purple, I don't know. Z, is it Z? I thought you were doing peace. I was like, okay. All right. So, you know, God can answer prayers that are written out. You write in a journal. God can answer prayers that are texted. I text people prayers now. They'll, they'll text me on Facebook. I pray through Facebook, that blue devil. I pray, I'll, I'll pray right through that. It's a tool, right? We'll pray for people over the phone. We'll, I, and when people ask me for prayer now, if, if I have a moment, I will stop and I will pray for them right there in the middle of whatever else is going on because God answers prayers and because I am not worried about how I look as much as I'm worried about God's desire for me to be faithful. Let's ask for some th- big things this week. And I don't, I don't know what you need in your life. Maybe it's big. Maybe you've been asking for already. Believe in faith that he's going to answer it. Be like that centurion who asked for the healing and got it. Amen? Step out and ask for big things. Maybe you don't need big things. Pray for our church. Amen? Pray that it would grow. Pray that we would stop getting sick. Amen? Pray that the worship team would be able to be back up here because no one's ill. Pray that God would do a work and that there would be revival within your heart and within the church. Pray some big prayers and keep praying for them until you break through and you receive the answer. All right, let's stand. Lord, I know that... uh, that you want to grow us in faith and that the only way to do that is for us to step out of the boat, step out of our security. So Lord, if that's who we are today, I want you to do that for us. If you want to pray this prayer of faith with me, raise your hands. If you want to join me in this. God, give me your faith. God, give me your strength. God, give me your spirit to move in the way that you want me to move. God, help me to pray big prayers. Help me to see big things done in your name because I know that you are able. Lord, help me to be like that centurion and not like the village. Lord, help me to be a person that asks and believes. Lord, I pray that we would all have faith to follow you, that we would make you Lord and Savior of our life, and that we would move forward with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.